Support for Paradox comes from the Timothy Center, your online counseling center no matter where you live. The Timothy Center is a marriage and family counseling facility in Austin, Texas, offering distance consultations for those that live outside the Austin area. If you have questions and you'd like to consult with Jimmy, Josh, or one of their licensed professionals, visit them at timothycenter.com. Recording live from Austin, Texas, a conversation about marriage and family that women will love and guys won't want to turn off. Dr. Jimmy Myers and Dr. Josh Myers are a paradox. Guys, welcome to Paradox. I'm Josh, and uh, my sadly, my co-host Jimmy could not make it today, but I'm super glad to have our guest today. We have Dr. Jimmy Myers on the show today. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate you being on. Uh, I, I appreciate you uh, having me. I'm, I am disappointed because I had heard so much about your co-host, uh, just his, um, his startling wit, his impressive intellect, and mostly what I've heard from people that have been on the show is just his, his stunning good looks mm. was almost a distraction no. for people. No, no. So I am, I'm, uh, I'm so glad to be here, but I'm so sorry that I missed... I, I think I think the word legendary would apply to your co-host. So yeah, uh, Jimmy is famous for his awkward intros with each mm-hmm. guest, and yep. so I actually was due to just his conflicts. Had two or three interviews without him this spring, um, and that was always lacking in the interviews. Okay, hit me. Give me a, give me an <laughs> awkward intro. I got nothing. I actually tried to think of that today. So Jimmy is a author. He believes he is a prolific speaker. Hmm? He is the CEO of the Timothy Center. You hear it promoted every episode, but it's a, a four-location Christian counseling facility in Austin, Texas. And his latest book, uh, which comes out in six weeks, what's the date on that? It drops July 4th. July 4th. How better to celebrate the birth of our nation? His latest book is called Fearless Parenting, and he co-authors with George Barna. Jimmy, tell us about the book. First off, how cool is it to, to do anything with, with George Barna? Uh, it was like, see, George was Google before Google was cool. Because I would, I would be writing something, I'd go, ah, uh, hey, George, could you give me some stats to back this up? Or could you give me some stats about this? And he'd, he'd say, do you want positive or negative? <laughs> I'll, I'll give you stats on whichever you want, whichever side you want to take. So, yeah, he, it was just phenomenal doing that with him and um, kind of, in awe of what he had to say and how he how he said it, it this whole thing began. Our agent, uh, the Fed agency, Esther Fedakevich, put us together, and she'd always said, "George, you know, you just scare people with your you know your numbers, and that the world is going to just die, you know, any moment. That's what the numbers tell us." And uh, he's famous for saying, "You don't have to like my numbers." You just have to accept them because they're true. And Esther put us together and she said, you know, Jimmy might add a little humanity to some of these numbers, uh, a little levity. Is what she meant ignorance? Yes. Okay. Yes, because I definitely do not uh, stem from an academic point of view. So uh, that's kind of what made this whole thing happen. And I can remember talking with George originally. Kind of the first rattle out of the bag for him was the first thing I'd read that he wrote about it is he said in the year 2030, here's what a 20 something year old is going to look like. And it was grotesque. 
if you think snowflakes today are bad, just as they said in Jurassic Park, hold on to your butts. Who said that? Samuel L. Jackson. Nice. Thank you. Which is scary. That Those are my kids in 2030. Yeah. So he said, you know, here's, here's what they're going to look like in the year 2030. This is simply what the trends tell us. But he said, but the good news is, because it was just a horrific description, so far away from what basically any believer today would hold dear. And he said, well, the good news is, is those 20-something-year-olds in the year 2030 are still in your house. You're still living with them right now. Therefore, you have an opportunity to impact this outcome. And then we set about 10 fundamental changes or at least issues that Christian parents need to address in order to not follow that kind of that kind of path and and not end up with that outcome. And that's that's really what fearless parenting is all about. Now, do you remember anything from George's research uh, about what a child was going to look like in the year 2030? Just pretty much as d- dispelled any type of religion, uh, moving toward a spirituality of very feelings based you know, abject truth, uh, relativism would rule the day. What you feel is more important than what could possibly be true. Everyone has their own truth. You know, that sort of thing. It's, it's the, it, it really cuts at the underpinning of everything. So, um, yeah. So we came up with these 10, 10 issues that really do, that are sort of existing right now that need to be addressed. So your previous book, Toe to Toe with Your Teen, I never read it. Mm-hmm. Oh, because you lived it. I wasn't interested in it. It wasn't funny. You lived it. Fearless parenting, I'm actually halfway through. Really? Yeah. That's bizarre. Kind of crazy. I think it was George's name on it. Yes. <laughs> so, yes, there's a big uh, 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 Goodreads. Yeah. That's a Google thing, right? I think it is. There's a big Goodreads promotion. By the time this airs, there may not be a Goodreads promotion, so because I'm not sure how long it goes. But I went, oh my gosh, this is so great. You're, they're, gonna, they're giving away my book. People, they're going to be getting in line. Look at this. Hundreds of people have already signed up for, for a possibility. And you look at it and it says, Fearless Parenting by George Barna. <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. I, wait. Whoa. Yeah. And no one cares about that <laughs> other guy. <laughs> they don't. In fact, when I, when, uh, when I did this thing with George, I said, I said, okay. I am going to insist that my name be above yours on, on the, <laughs> and he, you know, bless him. He was trying to be so kind as to, well, that might not be the best marketing decision. <laughs> uh, George, you're going to get to know. This me. is my ignorance coming out. <laughs> no, it was just he, me poking him. Correct. I, I'm yeah. going back to Esther. He oh, brings yeah. humanity <laughs> and humor. Yeah. Um, so I am halfway through, and one of the biggest things, besides just the 10 fundamental changes that, that parents need to make now, and I'm speaking to myself, because uh, I have that 20-year-old in 2030, the overarching umbrella was we have to move away from fear-based parenting to preparation. Tell me about that. I think if you look back over the history of the 20th century, surely, and yeah, before that, I'm sure. Christian parents, as much as we want to say, boy, we just stand on the Bible and, and fear is the opposite of faith and uh, the faith of a mustard seed. And we want to say we have faith and that we reject fear. But if you look at the way that Christian parents have parented over the last hundred years or so, 
it is nothing but abject fear, fear of society, fear of society's influence on our children. If it wasn't the speakeasies of the 1920s uh, and the demon drink, it was let's not, you know, let's burn Elvis albums and we can't see his hips gyrating to the Beatles long hair to backward masking to you name it. We have always been petrified of culture. And therefore, our approach to parenting has been this very fear based, protective mode. Now, granted, when a child is small, of course, you just don't say, hey, yeah, run down to the park and we'll see you this afternoon when they're four. <laughs> you don't pipe HBO and Showtime into the nursery. You don't do those. So obviously when they're small, of course you're protecting them because they don't have the, the cognitive and emotional wherewithal to make good decisions. And so this is, a, this is a preparation time, but it's also a protective time because they're so vulnerable. But by the time they hit junior high and, you know, 13, as soon as that teen hits their age, we need to be getting away from protection and into preparation. We need to have been up till this point preparing them to engage in culture, not to stay away from it. Because again, the, you know, the last, you know, not the last time, but when I think of Christians retreating from cultures, I think of the monastic age where we all just, you know, all Christians and monks, they shaved the top of their heads and they wore robes and they got behind really thick fortress walls. And in some ways, monasticism saved Christianity and the great works of art and, you know, and everything uh, from the Mongol hordes during the Dark Ages. But that's why it was called the Dark Ages, because Christians just pulled out of culture and left culture to go literally to hell in a handbasket. It didn't work then, and it doesn't work now. And so I was taken aback, and one of the things that jumped out at me was a client. It was a young lady, and she was on board with her parents. But the parents just said, the last straw is her eighth grade, I think, or something like that. Her science teacher used profanity in class. And well, that's it. We're out. We're homeschooling them. We're going to put them in a Christian school. And she just tells me that she just hears all sorts of profanity in the hallways. It's just gross, the things she and what she's exposed to. And so we're going to pull her out. And Lord knows, I get that. I absolutely, I get that. But the thought being, as a, as a minister of youth, especially at Hyde Park Baptist here in Austin for eight or nine years before doing this, I saw that probably a majority of our leaders in that really large youth group were from private schools, but possibly the strongest leaders were from public schools. And I asked the lady, I just said, well, what would happen if all Christian parents adopted what you're saying? We're just any Christian parent, we're going to take our all Christian children, we're going to take them out of the public schools. What would the public schools look like? And she said, it would be horrible. Yeah. Jesus called us to be salt and light. You know, he called us to impact culture, not to run from culture. And if you look at a 13-year-old, a 14-year-old raised in a Christian home, those children 
have been in so many Bible studies, so many vacation Bible schools. They've listened to so many talks, lectures, sermons. They have been, the Word of God has been crammed into their life since nine months before they were born. And yet we're afraid that a teacher cussing and their faith is going to fold like a cheap suit. I don't understand that. Then we have done a poor job in equipping them. You know, when they when they are hitting junior high, it ought to not be, I'm so afraid of how that junior high is going to impact my child. It ought to be, I can't wait to see how my child impacts that junior high. We should be holding our kids. And it, when they hit junior high, it ought to be, release the hounds and let them go. Because we've been preparing them for this day their whole life. So cut them loose and let's see what they do. And it's a fundamental change in philosophy of taking spiritual ownership. If the church isn't doing it, then parents, we do apologetics. We teach them why we believe what we say we believe. We go so far beyond Zacchaeus was a wee little man and get into why is the Bible different from the Koran. We do that as parents. We take spiritual responsibility for our kids to equip them to go and impact culture. You're starting to get there, but my next question is, so how do we begin this preparation-based parenting? Early and often. The church, and I'm sure we've talked about this because we've talked about everything on this show, but the church has done a really good job of teaching Bible knowledge. I think Christian schools continue the practice of teaching Bible knowledge. I think you go to a little Christian school and they're going to just teach the hound out of Bible knowledge. So our, our, our issue is not Bible knowledge. It's why do we believe the Bible to be true in the first place? Because if you say to me, because the Bible's the Word of God, well, pack it up. Because your ch- your ch- there's a book written called They're Already Gone. And their research for that book said by junior high, your active young person, active Christian young person, active in their church, has already rejected that. That hints the it used to be, oh, they're going to graduate and they're going to go find some professor that's going to teach them that evolution and they're going to lose their faith. That is so 1970s. Our kids are rejecting this idea that we believe the Bible because the Bible's the Bible. They're rejecting that in junior high. We've got, it's a sad thing that we have to teach why we believe the, it's a sad thing. I'm not saying that's not a sad thing. That's a sad thing. You would think we just say, hey, the Bible is the word of God. Amen. That settles it. And I believe it. And here we go on down the road. But that is not the time in which we live. That is not the time in which God has called you as a parent to exist in this world today. Wish it was, wish it was. When I was, you know, became a Christian, I was 15 in 1975. Still, there were, you know, if people didn't go to church, it was kind of like, oh, well, you know, I didn't make it. The thought was, well, I need to be. If I'm not, I need to be. And today, I have clients, you have clients. In your office, my office, every day. And these Christian kids will say, I don't know another believer in my school. I go to Bowie High School, and I'm sure there are Christians I just don't know. In my classes, I don't know another Christian. So there is no more, hey, do you want to come to revival? 
hey, it's high attendance Sunday, and if you come, I'll get a hot air popcorn popper. Those days are gone. And if we do not fundamentally change how we're approaching equipping our kids, then teenagers today, which are not just teens, but millennials, are fleeing the church in droves, in droves. And in the beginning of the book, they're already gone. That book begins with all these photographs of these warehouses and coffee shops and malls and all these different uh, bed and breakfasts in England. And they're all former churches. And that's us. That's us. Every denomination in America is shrinking. Young people today, millennials today, they don't go to church. They don't, not only do they not, you know, it used to be, you know why they don't go to church? Because of all the hypocrites. That's why they don't go to church is because of hypocrites. Not anymore. Millennials today don't go to church because it doesn't even enter their head. It doesn't even, it doesn't even enter their worldview that a church exists on the planet. Unless we change how we're raising, and by the way, that's a whole bunch of Christian kids. If we don't change, God help us. So you mentioned in the book 10 ways, uh, 10 fundamental changes that a, a parent needs to consider and enact. If you want to pick one or two, I certainly have a couple I'd like for you to cover in our remaining minutes. But what do you think? No, there's just 10, so they're all important, but what are a few that stick out? Of course, that one, and we touched on them, you know, changing that fundamental philosophy from I'm going to protect my children to I'm going to prepare them. You know, Paul David Tripp in Age of Opportunity, which is probably the second, well, actually, that would be the third best book ever written (laughs) on On parenting, parenting, teenagers specifically, but... His book, Age of Opportunity, is just so great. He talks about how we keep them out of the ring. And instead of keep it's it's such a it's a it's a, a naive, ignorant thought that I can keep my child out of the boxing ring of culture. It's just simply not gonna happen. They're gonna get in the ring, whether they're 13, 16, 19, 22, 24, they're gonna get in the ring. Are we spending all of our all of these years with our kids? Are we going to be teaching them how to win in the ring or just keeping them away from it like the ring is the Ebola virus? So it starts there by just this embracing I've got to prepare my kids to engage culture. And then this take, you know, the, the other one is just to take spiritual charge of our children's spiritual growth and not just be spiritually taxi drivers. I took them to church. I took them to retreats. I made them go to camps in the summer. I've done my job by getting them there. And so many parents, that's kind of their their take on this. So those would be two that I think are just our biggies. I have two that I want to mention. Uh, your chapter on rejecting material entitlement. Speak to that for a second. Well, you need to reject material entitlement. Okay, next. Yeah. Boy, you want to talk something that's going to just kick a lot of us in the pants. Most of us listening to this podcast, if you know what a podcast is and you listen to them on a regular basis, then compared to the rest of the world's population, you are stinking rich. 
all of us in this country, I don't care if you're on welfare in America, compared to the Sudan and Indonesia, we are stinking rich. Remember this interview from this guy from the Soviet Union when, you know, they were taught all during the Soviet Union times that, you know, American was horrible and they just had people living on the streets that were starving. And when all the walls fell down and he got to see, he goes, people on public assistance have like TVs and cell phones. This is, this is great. Their cars have houses over in America. This, uh, so we're stinking rich. So to be able to address this materialism and that our happiness is tied to things and money, our future, our plans, our goals are always tied to things and money. We teach our children that the most important things in life are things and money because you have to, we've got to get our six-month-old into this Montessori school so that he can get into the very best preschool that would then get him in the very best kindergarten, which would then get him in the very best elementary school and junior high, and then the, an exclusive high school with the best test scores so he can get into the best college. Why? You just want a brilliant child. Is that why? Do we want him to get all this education and be challenged academically and intellectually because we just simply want to have intelligent banter as we grow old with this very intelligent child? Of course not. We want you to have all this intelligence and all these degrees so you can make money. That's why. Because making money is the single most important pursuit of a 21st century American Christian parent. Argue with me, but don't argue with me. Ouch. And so it, to turn that around, I've, I remember distinctly, just like a year, whenever the iPhone 7 came out, this 12-year-old came in my office. The week they came out and he had an iPhone 7 Plus, it looked like a laptop in his hands. It was so large. And I never wanted... Well, to slap a kid and take his iPhone 7 Plus so much in my entire life. But these parents feel the need to make sure their children have the latest and the greatest. And then we gripe about how our families don't talk and we're separated and we keep handing them the technology to do it. Fantastic stuff. And that is just like two of the chapters in the book. There's certain there's stuff on parental self-worth, um, social media, smartphone use, prioritizing family relationships. You definitely need to pick that book up. Well, in chapter 11, if, you know, we keep saying that paradox is all about bringing men into the discussion. Chapter 11, I will get death threats because of cha uh, chapter 11. Mm -hmm. I, I'm already, I'm beefing up my personal security <laughs> because it talks about how dads specifically live their life vicariously through their children's involvement in sports. Ouch. Oh, Lord. And I was guilty of it. Maybe not to some of the degrees that you and I have seen men in our office, but that whole thing of pushing sports to the detriment of our... Yeah, chapter 11 is going to get me in a lot of trouble. So you're starting to sound like George. You've given us no hope. <laughs> Give me like a 30 second, not, not just like why this matters... Almost maybe tie in your final chapter, but um, give me some hope. Well, I would tell you that you're correct. Everything, your family has no hope, your children have no hope, really your marriage has no hope. Unless you buy fearless parenting. 
<laughs> by George Barna and Dr. Jimmy Myers. So the hope is... <laughs> That'll be the uh, teaser. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be the teaser. No, all these... It's just, you know, it's just sort of, and there's a lot of books that do this, I guess, but it's just sort of, okay, everybody, okay, Christian parents, step over here really close, because I'd like to take this bucket of ice water and pour it down your shorts. Just a wake-up call to say, hey, what are we doing? What are we doing? And why are we doing it? You know, because God is just so, ah, the church thrives in times of persecution. I'm sure we've mentioned this on the, on the show before, but that the famous quote from the Chinese believer, you in America are praying for us Christians in China will survive our persecution and we're praying you guys will survive your prosperity. We need some persecution. You know, we need things not to go easy. We need to fight for our faith. I think these are exciting times. And again, I'm preaching to the choir. If, if you're reading the book, I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're, concerned enough and motivated enough to get books like this? You get it. Because the whole idea of the book is, I'm talking to you who have children, smaller children right now, because in God's infinite wisdom, he saw fit to raise you up to be a parent at this time in American history for such a time as this. It's not a mistake. It's not an accident that you're a parent right now. Before the foundations of the world, God saw fit for you to be a parent of children right now in the church's history, in America's history. That is so exciting because I think our faith and our children's faith is going to be so much more dynamic moving forward than it ever was in the past 20 or 30 years. Guys, good stuff today. If you want more information about Jimmy, go to DocJimmyMyers.com. You can follow him on Twitter, Facebook at DocJimmyMyers, and then Instagram is JMyersFam. Thank you so much for being on. Uh, anytime. And uh, I will not take you to Enchiladas Moss. Seriously. Yeah, you weren't my favorite. Seriously. <laughs> wow. And scene. We hope you enjoyed the episode today. We are taking a two-month yeah, break. Our hiatus. And we will pick back up in August with more content episodes. And can we just tell interviews. people what your emails have been like? No. I'm going to. It's crazy. We're on, we're on track for this month to have over 20,000 downloads. I know. It's kind of crazy. That's insane. I mean, we were kind of hovering in the, you know, what is it, 5,000 or so for a month? Yeah, up until March of this year, just hovering about 5,000 And that's a month. basically just the people that we know and our relatives <laughs> that keep downloading <laughs> episodes again and again and again. I, you know, it's wearing their, their fingers out, basically. Mm -hmm. But to, to be over 20,000, that is just crazy talk. I know. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah, very exciting. So we'll pick back up in the fall. Please feel free to email us if you want more information, not only about this episode, but the show, ParadoxPodcast.com. And you also can follow us, the show, as well as us individually on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can find that information there. Have a sizzling summer. Have a good one. Paradox is produced by Billy Lee Myers Jr. and researched by Dr. Jimmy and Dr. Josh Myers. 
For more information about our Paradox Evangelist, Julie Lyles Carr, go to julielylescarr.com. If you want more details about what was discussed on today's show, go to paradoxpodcast.com.